Profanity Nation. Yeah, it's the new era of man for some old school fans with a new school brand. We got money on the mic with the plan in hand. And step back to his left, they go hand in hand. And to the right, we got Simster, he putting it down. It's the Profanity Nation, we running the town. Yeah, it's the Profanity Nation. Profanity Nation. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Profanity Nation podcast. We are the voice of the professional fan. As always, I'm joined here by Money Mike. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Let's do it. Let's do it. We have a very special day today. I'm excited. Step Hat, how you feeling? I'm doing real good, man. I know you're really you know, excited you know, about excited. today. Yes, yes, you know, I've been waiting for this one. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, before we get started, everybody, like I said, we have a very special guest today. Today is a Profanity Nation interview with an absolute, absolutely legendary icon. And uh, we're going to go ahead and run an intro, and then we're going to bring him in. So hold tight. This is excellent. You really want to watch this. This is our guest. Here we go. He's conducted more than 5,000 interviews, including every major sports personality, icon, artist, and legend. As host of ESPN's Up Close and HDNet's Face to Face, he's a seven-time Emmy Award-winning broadcaster. Sports Illustrated called him the best interviewer in the business. But he's so much more than that, an author of three books, including his brand new book, That's What I'm Talking About. And he has a new musical CD called Another Voice. What you won't do and a featured role in the motion picture, Jerry Maguire. Your father leaves home on Christmas Eve, leaves your family all alone. And a mother had to sweep out the steps at a prison just to earn enough money for tuition for you. Your brother loses a leg in a tragic bass fishing accident. I mean, there's been a horrific list of things that have happened to you in your life. I'm not going to cry, Roy. <laughs> well, actually, we have some very good news for you. This has just been handed to me. A memo. It's signed. It's a contract. Guaranteed. Arizona Cardinals, four years, $11.2 million. You're going to get to play in Arizona where it all started, finish up your career in Arizona. What do you think of that? Thank you so much. Congratulations. Congratulations. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Roy Firestone. <laughs> I'll give you help. Roy. I love you. Crowd goes wild. And the crowd goes wild. I know I did. I know I did. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we love that clip, Roy. You can't help but laugh and smile every time you watch that clip from Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Uh, everybody. Hey, hey, no way, but let me just say, I love the soul that you had in there. <laughs> you know, you, you well, we'll, maybe we'll talk about maybe we'll talk about that a little later. But I will tell you that uh, you may or may not know this, guys, that I have been a performer as long or longer than I've been a sports broadcaster. Oh, really? I've done close to 2,000 corporate shows. I played in Las Vegas with everyone from Lou Rawls to the Four Tops. Wow. I played with, um, I played with the Doobie Brothers. I played with a lot of, lot of Osborne, um, lots and lots of artists that I very, Josh Groban most recently, David Foster. Oh, wow. So these are people that I admire. Um, it's sort of like taking batting practice with the 27 Yankees. You know what I mean? Those were the yeah. good ones. But I've been doing this a long time. 
and I've been performing it for a long time. And we'll, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit later as we get on the show, but I, I did produce a, a brand new CD with a band called Hiroshima. It's a Grammy Award, award-winning band that backed it. So I'm pretty proud of that. And a lot of other things I've done as well as the talk show, of course, which we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that, that we want to specify, and we'll, we'll, we'll definitely touch base a little bit more, but on your intro, there is a small update. There is now four books that four you've books. written, and the fourth book is actually very relative to our show, which we're going to discuss, and we will get to that in a second. Um, but uh, so, so you're not only a singer, entertainer, interviewer, sportscaster, uh, actor now, <laughs> Jerry McGuire. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, right? Uh, there's almost nothing you don't do. Um, I'm curious, though, since you, you brought up the entertainer before the actual sports interviews and such, um, you know, we've done obviously some research and uh, you're an icon. And anyone who knows your story uh, might know that one of your first interviews or your first actual interview was the one Muhammad, and only Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali. Ali. And we actually have a picture of that I'm going to go ahead and show really quick here. This that is from that day, correct? That's the first day. Look at the hair. You can <laughs> not Photoshop that. Um, again, I don't know if you can see this. Well, if you're listening to an audio, you won't be seeing it at all. But if you are seeing this on video, uh, if you look carefully at the bottom of the screen, yeah. there's a little girl there. Is that, that her? That girl is Layla Ali. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's all she was, I think, five years old. She ended up becoming a boxer herself and a champion herself. Mm -hmm. But that was the first time I ever was on television with an interview, and it was 1975. So that's 46 years ago. Wow. <laughs> wow. How does that feel uh, after all that time? You're old. For <laughs> <laughs> you got to do, do the math to figure out how old I am. <laughs> well, I mean, I was born in 76. Yeah, so we, and I, like, I was born in 75. I so look we, pretty good. So, so. we, so we kind of, <laughs> when you were saying the dates, we were like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah that's, pretty, that's pretty old. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I've been, I've been doing this. Good, right? I've, you been, know? I've been in the business in 75. That was my first week on TV. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I, I had I don't know if you guys, Jeff, you if you put that in there, but there's a story with Ali that I tell, which I don't know if you put that in the show. I, I don't have that video handy, but I'd love for you to tell that a little I bit. Will, I will, I'll be glad to. This is going to take a few minutes, but it's Please. an unbelievable story. Uh, maybe you want to show that picture again real quick, just so I can I can put, put some context in this. Uh, you can see me and Ali. This was right after the Thriller in Manila. Mm. Um, this is right around, I want to say, maybe late October, maybe early November of 75. That week, we followed him around, we being my camera crew in Miami, Florida, where I'm from, and where he trained, I might add, for most of his fights early in his career, particularly against Sonny Liston when he was still Cassius Clay. He trained there. That's where the famous picture with the Beatles is with then Cassius Clay, uh, was maybe 10 minutes from my house. That's how close wow. I was to that. Anyway, so we go with the camera crew to South Beach, Florida, and we went to a nursing home because we wanted to follow the champ as he made his rounds and how as he did things. So we go to this nursing home. He, again, remember, he just beat Joe Frazier in the thrill in the middle of one of the greatest fights of all time. And there are, I guess, 75 elderly people in this nursing home. Um, so Ali walks out very, very confident and very cocky because he was Ali and he was going to put on the show for these elderly folks. He goes, 
I'm the greatest of all time. I whoop Joe Frazier. I'm still fast. I'm still pretty. I'm the greatest of all time. Tell everybody <laughs> what is my name. <laughs> These elderly folks just stared at him like, who the hell is this? <laughs> now, now, Ali's, oh, okay, finally an old lady goes, aren't you Clay? And I went, oh, God, this is what you don't need here. So anyway, we go into another room, and there's an elderly man. This is going to make you cry. I'm telling you right off the top of the show, this is an unbelievable story. Great. He goes into this other room, and there's no, only one person in the room. is a, a black guy. I'll never forget, very emaciated in a wheelchair. Didn't have a lot of time left. He was probably 97, 98 years old. So Ali does it again to try to get something, a kind of a, re a response out of this guy. He goes, hey, old man, tell everybody in the who is my, what is my name? Who am I? Tell everybody who I am. And the old man didn't say anything. He just stared. I don't think he could hear really well. I don't think he could see really well. And he was very, very old. Mm -hmm. So Ali starts to walk away thinking, oh, leave the guy alone. As I'm watching Ali walk away with his entourage, I'm looking at this elderly man in the wheelchair. And I see, like, suddenly he gets it. The light goes on in his head. And he turns over to Ali with his wheelchair, kind of haltingly at first. But then later, with a little more conviction, he starts, starts to speak. Hey. Hey. <laughs> and, and Ali turns and goes, hey, what? He goes, Come over here. Come over here right now. And Ali walks over to him. And Ali says, you want to talk to me? And the old man said, yes, I do. I know who you are. And this is like he could barely breathe, this poor old man. Mm -hmm. And Ali goes, you know who I am. Who am I? And the old man looked up and he said, you are the champ of the world, man. And that's why. I waited my whole life to meet the champ. I used to love to box, but now I see you. And I could tell the world my heart is proud. Awesome. I got to meet the champ of the world. And I love you, champ, and you're the greatest of all time. Now, everyone in the room is starting to cry. Wow. I mean, it's really touching. So Ollie turns to this guy and he goes, you're right. I'm the greatest of all time. Now tell everybody here in this whole room, what's my name? And the old man looked up and he said, Joe Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, here is where it's magnificent. This is where it's a magnificent Ali story. Everybody in that entourage who was paid money to make Ali look good, they got offended. So they start to correct the old man. Hey, old man, don't you know that age? And Ali stopped him. He stopped him. What are you doing? But he just said your name. I know what I could hear what he said. <laughs> Come over here for a second. And these six members of the entourage, they rushed back to be with Ali. And they said, well, what do you want, champ? He goes, what do I want? I want you to respect that man. I want you to understand that every man deserves dignity. No matter how old you are and how young you are, especially an old man, deserve to have dignity and respect. And you never, ever, ever correct an old man. How dare you do that? You mean his whole life, all that man ever tried to do is put food in the the table for his children. Maybe all he ever tried to do is be a good person. But that don't that don't may mean you could correct him. Look at him, 97 years old. You know something? Remember he just said his dream came true? 
And they said, that's right, champ. We heard that. He goes, well, it did come true. And do you know why? He said his champ was Joe Lewis. His dream just came true. And you know why? And we, they, everyone said, why, why? He goes, because tonight, tonight, my name is Joe Lewis. How awesome is that? Now, now, now here's why it's a fabulous thing to, to see and why it even relates to today especially today, because there was an old saying back in the, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 years ago, we've got maybe more 90 years ago from George Washington Carver was a famous agriculturalist and founded and had hundreds of inventions an African-American from Tuskegee. Yeah. And he said a quote that I'll never forget. I'm going to relate it to this in a second. He said, how far all of you go in your life depends upon your ability to be tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, tolerant of the weak and strong, and those who strive, because someday in your life, you will have been all of those things yourself. And so what Ali was doing, guys, in that moment, he was referencing what George Washington Carver was saying. He was trying to uplift an elderly man, give him a moment of, of joy, and make his dream come true for a moment because he understood the most important quality of what a champion is about is an uplifting other people. It doesn't mean that you're a champion only in sports, anything you do in life. If you uplift other people, if you inspire other people, if you make people feel better through their day, through the hardships that they're going through, and God knows we're going through a lot of it, you could be a champion. I know it sounds corny, but that is the truest thing I can tell you. We need to find a way to uplift one another. That's and right. So, so I say to you from that story that I got that probably the best story I've ever had in my career. And that was day week one. Wow. <laughs> following, following picture one, day one, I'm interviewing him, that we need to find a way to uplift each other, not fight each other. You know, find a way to, 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 emotionally, metaphorically, symbolically hug each other again. That's my right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, that's, that's so powerful. Yeah, it is. And you know, you th think about it, the fact that you had that moment with him on the first, on the first job, pretty much first day, day of the job. Pretty close, yeah. It yeah. must have springboarded you into how you were going to be your the professional that you are today. Well, first of all, thank you for that. I, I take I don't take that lightly. I, I really do appreciate the compliment. But I, I can tell you, if you wanted to talk about my 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 view of what I do in a lot of the interviews, I try to find the good in people. That doesn't mean I can't ask tough questions. Doesn't mean that I didn't ask a lot of tough questions. I had Barry Switzer once wanted to punch me in the mouth on the on the air. Uh, Ted Turner took the mic off and split on me one time on the air. Kevin Johnson, the guard for the Phoenix Suns, wanted to split from the show on, on the air. I had my moments, but as much as I could. And by the way, all those people are good people. Yes. But yeah. all, all I can tell you is I always tried to find something that was good. And I tried to tell a story that was uplifting, that was inspiring, that was moving. Or if it could be none of those things, at least a story you never knew about that person before. Yeah. Not every show could I do that, but with 5,000 plus interviews, I like to think that some of the most memorable interviews, 
I hope it sounds humble, because I, I, I am I have a lot to be humble about, trust me. Um, but I hope that I have, have some memories on those shows for the fans, and this is a show for the fans, so, that people remember, that whether it was Dennis Rodman or Muhammad Ali or, you know, uh, Ma Magic Johnson or Jordan. And we're going to show some clips tonight on this, on this show and listen to some clips, too. I hope that there were some moments where I brought out some humanity in the person I talked to um, or persons. And maybe in a moment, somebody would say, wow, I never knew that about this guy or that this gal. And right. that was my that was my approach, but it was all about uplifting people. If I could, that's great. That's great. I have a question for you. Um, uh, you know, obviously, like you said, with so many interviews, uh, so many celebrities, icons, and so forth that that you've interviewed and seen come and go. You know, along the way and over the years. Mm -hmm. If if you could, if is there a definition? What what would you define as an icon? And is that something that through the years you can kind of pick out and say that person has as as opposed to superstar quality icon quality, which is always just slightly above? Uh, what makes that? How do you define that quality? Well, it's a it's a good question, and there, there's a couple of categories. I mean, athletic greatness is impressive enough. I mean, you see a Tom Brady with those seven titles, and you see that he's He's been in 10 Super Bowls and he's, you know, he's he's the greatest of all time in terms of quarterbacking and as an athlete and not a bad guy. I interviewed him and maybe show a picture of that. I guess we have that with, with to talk about, but I'm not knocking him in any way. It really, I'm not. You can't knock the best, but he's separate from the category of people like Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali and even Jim Brown. Um, he's separate. He, he's in a separate case. He's the greatest, no question about it. The greatest quarterback. You can't even argue it anymore. But when you say icon, it transcends superstardom. An icon is somebody who changed the way we look at things. Jackie Robinson, who I never got to interview, obviously, he died in 1972. Um, Muhammad Ali, who I did get to interview, was that person, Bill Russell. Uh, people who made a difference and touched people somewhere uh, in in their love or watching them as fans, touched something in their heart that made them say, this guy's unforgettable. Hank Aaron was that person too. Uh, to a lesser extent, maybe someone like Willie Mays. Well, Willie Mays was just a tremendous athlete, but I don't know, and I say this with great respect and I have great affection for Willie Mays, my whole family did, he didn't, I don't think, change the way we looked at things. Unless you look at it as there's a ball player, you couldn't do any of those things all in one package. But there's a separate category between superstardom and icon. Mm -hmm. And those icons are very, Billie Jean King's another one. Martina Navratilova is another one. I think Megan Rapinoe is, is another one starting okay. out now. Yep. Um, you know, people who made us look at the world differently. Now, would you include Colin Kaepernick there? I don't know that you could qualify that because his athletic endeavors, although he did play in a Super Bowl, um, were kind of overshadowed by by his protest, which I believe, in my opinion, was admirable. Not everyone who's listening to this would agree, but he didn't couple his greatness athletically with the changing of the changing of the world. He did one, but not both. But mm -hmm. Icon does both. So that's where I define that. 
Okay. Also, um, I was going to um, not add to that because obviously you said it perfectly, but um, when it comes to um, the icon, I mean, somebody having that iconic status, is does charisma also play a sure. part in that? When you, know, you have the, you, like you said, you have the, the accolades as an athlete. However, it's just your personality and how you are more of like a larger than life figure and how like you can transcend the sport than what you play in. Um, very good. I, it's a very good point. Yeah. yeah. And I just believe there are like, you were just bringing out a lot of those athletes that there are, you know, not a couple, I mean, I mean, my friend Money Mike here, uh, he, <laughs> when it comes to LeBron James, you know, you're not not the biggest LeBron James fan. However, when I look at the word, I, I think that he is, if he's not there, he's close to it. Um, oh, definitely. I, I, I would agree with that. L let me see if I can, I can clarify even a little bit more. Like Charles Barkley, he's an icon because he made us, he, he, they don't, don't have to be philanthropic things. Mm -hmm. They can make you look at the world differently just through his candor. Yeah, he's not a role model. And, and, you know, and him saying things, and, you know, I just interviewed Charles, which we may show something a little bit later, um, but he's iconic. I definitely think LeBron is is an icon uh, for what he does. And, again, it's not just charity, but being a spokesperson. You know, I don't, didn't always agree with everything that he was about. I didn't agree with his view on China. I didn't agree with his, you know, taking my talents to South Beach in the way he did it. Of right. course, right. But, that decision. But LeBron, LeBron, LeBron is not only one of the top five greatest players of all time, in my opinion, and he ain't done, as you can see this year. He's probably going to be an MVP this year even. Possibly he stays healthy. But he's 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 changed life's lives. He's changed the world. And... Um, I think he's, you know, obviously very limited education. I don't think it's even about education. I think it's about how you just react to things in the world and take stands and approve, approve the lot of others and um, just by the way you carry yourself. So I, I put him in that category for sure. And for, for the record, you know, I, I never really liked LeBron's style of play. That's fine. I, I have said, though, what I've loved about LeBron from Philadelphia Tropic uh, standpoint, I love what he did in Cleveland, where not just the school it, it is it was what he established for the parents for them to be able to go to college. Because I believe when you raise your kids, your kids have to see something that mm -hmm. their parents are, right. you know, so that way they can want to be that as well. So the fact that he, you know, he had that vision and that foresight to say, yeah, I need to put the kids in college. I mean, not the kids, the parents in college. So that way the kids can have something to look up to outside of him, you know, somebody yeah. that, that interacts with them, you know, day to day basis. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that about LeBron, 100 percent. You know, you know, the other thing is, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant, sadly, tragically, is going to be an icon we'll always have in our hearts. Even if you weren't a fan, you'll remember him. Yep. But he was going to change the world, too. He was yeah. going to change women's athletics, I believe. I think he was going to become – I know he was going to become an owner of a women's – he might have been the commissioner of the WNBA. I think he was going to take it to a different level. Of course, he won an Academy Award. Uh, he, as great a player as he was, he also was touching lives. Ooh. Now, uh, again, uh, that's an iconic figure in sports. And it's also a guy who is an iconic figure in society. So I would put him in that category. Now, that's not to say that, you know, say Terry Bradshaw was a lot of fun. Joe Montana, a lot of fun to watch. Great players, competitors, Drew Brees, all of these guys. 
they were all figures. And I think Drew Brees, the third one I just mentioned, also has got iconic status for what he did in New Orleans, man. I mean, if you hold, know the whole story about how much money, he's donated tens of millions of dollars, mm -hmm. generated tens of millions of dollars after Katrina, yep. the tragedies they've had down there. And he is a true hero. And again, we're kind of teetering into the same category, icon, hero, superstar. They're, they're all sort of closely related, mm -hmm. but their giving back, their outreach, their effect on the world, it, whether it's charitable or just in how they made you look at things, uh, that that's when you get into that iconic status. An interesting uh, distinction, I think, and interesting line of questioning because I've oftentimes wanted to define, you know, somebody said, well, would you say that uh, Michael Jordan, definitely iconic because of the way he changed the structure of sports and he has given back quite a bit, but he wasn't a guy in the front end of politics which is his choice mm -hmm. it wasn't it what he wasn't at the front end of taking unpopular views his choice i don't think that you have to but he's a different category say than a jim brown or a kareem abdul jabbar right or a bill russell he's great he's arguably maybe not even arguably the greatest player who ever played the game of basketball mm -hmm. but in terms of iconic status he gets the iconic status because he was the greatest player and he coupled it with, with some of his give back. But in terms of the impact um, in society, it's all about the shoes. You know what I mean? It, it's not the same thing. He didn't put his career or his life literally on the line like Ali did or Bill <laughs> Russell did or Jim Brown did. Um, and I think Kobe Bryant was going to. And I think LeBron James is doing, mm -hmm. uh, not even a mild, not in any way a mild knock of, of Michael Jordan, who's the greatest player. But he he was he's in a different category. He's right. he's in the stratosphere, with no question about it. But you know, if you talk to Michael, and I have, you, he, he doesn't feel like it's 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 so important that people know what he does, and he doesn't really do it for publicity. He does, and that's, and that's commendable also. He does it because he gives in the way he wants to give, and he's just not a political person. He's not an outspoken person um, in that way. And if you saw, you know, you saw the last dance. Uh, he's a, he could be a bit of a pain in the ass to a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> competitive. That's but, but you know, he, he's he's unique. He's certainly iconic in some respects, but not in the, in the complete package that some of the other ones were. That's excellent. We have a ton more to get back to. Everybody who's listening and watching, thank you for sticking around with us. Of course, we have Roy Firestone. We're going to go ahead and pay a bill really quick, and we'll be right back. Roy's not going anywhere. we got Money Mike, Stat Pat, and yours truly, Simsta. We'll be right back. Don't go. So you think your sneakers look good, huh? Check this out. <laughs> Even the most exclusive sneakers once purchased look identical to everybody else's sneakers. Can I get a holla holla? So how do you take your boring regular sneakers and convert them to unique dynamic sneakers that will stand out? Yo, that answer is easy. You need to get laced with Get Laced Shoelaces. Yes, Visit GetLacedLaces.com or check us out on Instagram at GetLaced.Underscore. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us. We are back. Of course, we have the, speaking of icons, iconic <laughs> Roy Firestone with us, of course. 
StatPat, Money Mike, yours truly, Simsta on the Profanity Nation podcast. Thank you very much. Um, we were just talking about icons and maybe what might, makes an icon uh, a little different than maybe a superstar and such. And, and the kind of the um, the key wording that I heard there is is really the the icons kind of step out for the most part uh, for social issues and, and take a chance and, and a stand there. Or, or change the way you look at things. Or change yeah. the way you look at things. Absolutely. And and I, I equate that to wisdom. That, that these that Ali had a wisdom. I mean, just in there in that re retirement home, he had a wisdom that nobody taught him. He just had that. He just knew. Nobody else in that room even knew. He just knew. He just knows. And, uh, you know, I, I guess sometimes you're born with that. Maybe you're raised. I'm not sure, but it really just seems to be they're on a different level sometimes. And they just understand things on a different level. Well, Ali. Uh I did many, many events with Muhammad Ali uh, for fundraising for Parkinson's. I must have done 15 things with him over the years. I probably was around him 30, 40, 50 times in my career. I never saw him badmouth anybody. I never saw him make somebody feel crappy. I've, I've seen a lot of great athletes blow people off, and it's okay. I mean, I, I understand the demands of some of these people, but Ali seemed to love humanity. I mean, I think he was a guy who really, it's so ironic because you guys are young, too young to remember that he was really not loved in his time. From 65 on, he was one of the most despised athletes, especially with social media today. Can you imagine Muhammad Ali with uh, social media today? Yeah. He would be destroyed in some circles and, you know, applauded and cheered in others. Yeah. But he had this inherent ability to recognize the human commonalities that we had. And again, he, he was outspoken, said things that didn't sit well with a lot of the, the white hierarchy. Um, but you know what's funny and what's really weird? I do a lot of these corporate shows and I perform all over the country. I've seen the most redneck people, cowboys, I mean, some real redneck people who when I talk about Muhammad Ali, they get tears in their eyes. And yep. these people probably didn't even like him in his day. That's they grew to like him because he, taught them something about self-love and self-respect and the dignity that people should have for themselves. Yeah, he was he put on the show. He was the braggadocio guy and the outrageous, sort of a cross between Gorgeous George and Little Richard. You know, he, was, <laughs> he had a lot of everything. But, and he, and he took some hits. I mean, he, he lost three and a half years of his career because of his stand uh, against not going to Vietnam. He could have had a soft, cushy, role in Vietnam. He could have done some exhibitions and probably stayed in bed at night six months a year. He wasn't going to be in the front lines, but he still didn't want to be participating because he believed that his faith dictated that he not do that. So he was truly um, a very courageous figure in the same way that Jackie Robinson was. But getting back to Ali, I just thought he was a guy who got it because he understood the nature of humanity. You cannot always get that through an education, getting a college degree like Arthur Ashe did, who was one of the most brilliant athletes that ever been around. He's an iconic figure too, Arthur Ashe. Absolutely. But Ali touched a, a chord in people. Uh, and I think he reminded people of their own self-worth and self-love, not just African-Americans, but of course, African-Americans too. But all people, and I think even these some of these redneck people who wouldn't have given the light of day, 
they would be thrilled to meet Muhammad Ali at any point in his career. So that's the, one of the most unusual things that I knew. I traveled around with Ali a lot and people waited in line just, just to get a photo with him, get a picture with him in ways that Tom Brady would never be able to get or any great player of today, you know, hockey player or basketball player. They're all admired, but Ali was beloved. And there's a difference between being admired and being beloved, and he was beloved. Yeah, I would agree. You, you mentioned a, a little bit in the beginning here that uh, obviously you've kind of always been an entertainer and then went into interviewing and sportscasting. How, when you were growing up, let's say going into school, going into college, so what was it that you were going after at that point? And then obviously we, a lot of us don't end up exactly where we thought, but what was it that you were going after? Where did, where did we get started? A, a couple of things changed my life, and we, we can talk about it in Please. a little while. But the two things that changed my life is seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show in 1964. Uh, I was eight or seven or eight years old at the time. And I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I wasn't prepared to love them either. I was just kind of this skeptical kid. They, they were literally their second tour date. I mean, their second TV appearance was in my hometown one week after the Ed Sullivan Show. Wow. So when you see the famous pictures with Ali and the Beatles or Clay, when he was still Cassius Clay and the Beatles. That was the same week he fought Sonny Liston, by the way. That really blew my mind to see the Beatles. I Because I said, wow, I want to be around a microphone. That was one. The other thing was I was bat boy for the Orioles when they trained down in Miami for years as a, as a kid. And I wanted to be around these ballplayers, man. I thought that. So one thing, I wanted to have a mic in my hand. But then I saw these ballplayers up close to me, no pun intended, up close. But. Um, and I said to myself, man, if I could ever get to interview these people or if I could ever do anything with a microphone and my love of sports and my love of entertainment sort of colliding, um, what a cool life that would be. And I, that was probably, I guess I was 15, 16. I ain't 15 or 16 anymore, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I've been doing this a long time. And I could say this, and I hope this comes off the right way, not arrogant or egotistical. I would, I would, I would pretty much guarantee that there's no one in my in my industry who's done as many different kinds of things in terms of what I did. Not just the interviewing, not just the reporting and the writing and the books and stuff, but getting a chance to perform and getting a chance to play, it, it, you know, the Grand Ole Opry with Loretta Lynn, wow. or to get to to get to you know be on the same stage as I said the Doobie Brothers or David Foster and you know. Yes, yeah, some of it was because I was a sportscaster who who was in Jerry Maguire. But if you're not, if you can't handle yourself up there on the stage after about a minute, people know that you're terrible. Exactly. <laughs> I've been very fortunate. There's and nowhere to hide. And I was coming There's on. No, there is nowhere to hide. <laughs> and um, I performed all kinds of things. I, 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 as I said, the Ali experiences with being with Ali and performing with Ali many, many, many times. One time I did a show and I didn't know he was in the audience or he was he was in the hotel. Someone told him I was going to do a bit about Ali. I have a picture I could probably get get to you guys if you people are visually watching the show. Sure. And uh, they didn't they didn't tell me what was going to happen. I'm telling the story and I remember I'll never forget this was in Anaheim. And I'm doing the story and I hear the cheering. <laughs> and I'm going, wow, they really love me. <laughs> he walked up from behind me oh, and I turned and I went, Oh, and it just, I still get chills talking about, it. I mean, 
I don't know that there are a lot of people in my industry. And again, I say it, I hope with some humility that have anything like that kind of experience, anything like it. And I have been very fortunate to, to and really, really, truly say that I'm humble and grateful. But I, I had to come a long way to get to that place. And I'm still doing what I do. And I, I still love doing what I do. still love talking about it. But I, I'm blessed, man. I, I, I got experiences that I don't think that anyone can match in terms of the eclectic and the diversity things that I do. And um, I'm proud of that. Nice. Well, let me ask you, can you pick a favorite, though? I mean, you, you're you a singing entertainer. You you interview the greatest, uh, you know, not it's just the greatest. You know why? Because they're all number one. I know it's such a corny thing. To say. <laughs> as I said before, and as I said before, you know, I'm not the best singer in the world. I'm not saying I'm. I could sing like you know. You, you got know. soul though. You got soul in there. I heard yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not John Legend, but I, I'd like I'd like to think that I could get on a stage with John Legend and do a tune with him. Oh yeah, and, and not embarrass myself. Right? Do you, do you no, play I, the instruments also? Yeah, I, a little bit, but mostly I'm a vocalist. Mostly I'm a vocalist, but okay. I, here's what I can't do, and I really can't do it with a blom, with a real big way. I really am a crappy dancer. I can't <laughs> dance to save my life. Oh, so I cannot dance to save my life. Be in there on Dancing with the Stars anytime no, soon? No chance. Let me get back to Mike. Let me get back to that for a second, because let, let me let me just say this. I, I love to sing, and I... And people can, there's, I think we're looking at Elton John right there. Yeah, yep. Um, you know, that's a story into itself. But I mean, you think about like Elton John, who who got a kick out of just meeting me, which is the weirdest thing in the world. You know, have the great Sir Elton John, who I've admired. I like to think, and I have a thing in my show, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, to the tune of that song with all the great moments in sports in my live show. And, you know, I like to think singing really gets me viscerally in a place that nothing else does. That would be one. Again, I'm not saying I'm the best singer, but I'm, I'm, I'm I can hold my own. I can, you know, I'm taking batting practice as I said before with the 27 Yankees. <laughs> but the interviewing is all about for me telling a story, and I think I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories, and I love especially if story if a story moves me like that Ali story I told at the top of the show. If I can do those kinds of things, I get such an emotional connection, which is really what I mostly like to do, to connect with an audience, to connect with TV audience or a live audience, and to feel as though uh, I've affected them or moved them or made them laugh or made them feel something. That's important to me. So they're all kind of in that same category when it, when it, when it goes well. Because well, it all feels good. It's all success and it's all fun. Uh, let's play a little clip here really quick with another sure. icon, of course, sports icon. And then you can tell us a little bit about it. We won't play the whole clip, but we'll play just a little uh, bit here. Here we go. Sure. Ordinary world. Can you reflect on that for a few moments? Well, I believe that the world is extraordinary, you know, and I'm really pretty ordinary. But it's how people view you. You know, one of the things that always bothered me was people always wondered, well, where do you sleep? How big is the bed that you use sleep in? You know, uh, it never bothered me. It was pretty easy just to curl up and go to sleep. But <laughs> people view you in a certain certain way. And because you're a foot taller or so than the average average guy, to them, that foot sometimes is five or six. Uh, an old lady once asked me how tall I was. And I said 6'11". I was in high school at the time. 
And she said, I just lied to her like you couldn't believe. She said, you got to be nine feet tall. <laughs> well, people see you as being something much more than what I see myself as being. <laughs> That's Wilt Chamberlain for those who are listening to this on audio. Man, it, I could do a whole hour on Wilt. <laughs> uh, I could tell you a couple, one quick story about Wilt. Uh, I was coming out of a restaurant in Santa Monica, California, here in California. This is about 78. I had never met Wilt Chamberlain before. And I walk out and he's got this white Rolls Royce, the biggest damn car I ever saw in my life. He's got two <laughs> Great Dane Dalmatian type dogs, huge Dalmatian dogs in the back seat. The convertible top was down. He's got this beautiful woman packed into a leather dress in the front seat. And he is on the driver's seat. He's got a silk, silver and purple jumpsuit with a burgundy <laughs> beret. He's got this lemon line feather coming out of his ear. Wow. So awesome. He's got an African walking stick and his feet are up on, on the dashboard. No shoes. <laughs> and he's 7'2". At the time, he's 7'2", about 375 pounds. So I said, Wilt Chamberlain, I've always wanted to meet you. He goes, I know who you are. I said, this is right after the, what you just saw. Before I met him, I asked him, would you want to do my show? Could you do my show? And he's got all this stuff on. He goes, Roy, I would love to do the show, but right now you have to understand I'm trying to keep a low profile. <laughs> <laughs> now, Wilt was, I could sit here and argue with you guys. You probably wouldn't agree. Maybe some of you would. If you look at Wilt's stats, yeah, it was a different time. I know he was playing in whatever seven nine nine team league or whatever, but he he averaged fifty points a game right. on season. <laughs> right, he had he had fifty rebounds a game. Yeah. When he wanted to be a rebound. He could do anything he wanted and do it. He had something like sixty six zero games where he had fifty five or more points. Yeah, that's crazy. And uh, he had a, obviously a hundred points. He never fouled out of a game. He was the most unique athlete I think I'd ever been around in my life in terms of just the incredible ability. He was also a track star at Kansas. You know, he was he was an out he he could he was an outstanding volleyball player. He was truly one of the most remarkable people. And oh, fun and fun to talk to, and always colorful. And he here's the other thing: I don't know that Wilt ever re regretted for a minute being Wilt. He loved being Wilt. Whereas Kareem is kind of a shy guy. Right. Even Jack is a different type of guy. You know, some people aren't comfortable with their size. Wilt just loved every day of his life being seven foot two and a half. And he lived, he lived larger than life. He never liked to disappoint people. So he was an eccentric person. He would tell me stories about how he would drive cross country. Sometimes he'd be in the desert, you drive 175 miles an hour. He was barefoot ski. Uh, at high speeds. He was a crazy, wild guy who loved his life. And, and he didn't live that long. He didn't make 70 years old. Right. And, and he was truly in the list of unforgettable icons. He made you see the world differently. I think he was right up there with any of them. He was just, and by the way, that interview you just saw, that was done in 19, I want to say 80, Eight, so that's about 35 years ago, something like that, 33 years ago, something like that. And <laughs> I'll never forget, he was walking out of the studio and we he wanted something you know, for his time. And he wasn't doing it in a greedy way. He just liked to feel like he got something for his time. So in those days, we gave him a VCR, 
A VCR was like 90 bucks now. In its day, in its day, a VCR was a nice, nice piece of equipment. That is funny. So he and this thing was in and a flat screen too. I didn't mention that. Also a big TV screen, not a flat in those days. Big TV. He take there must have been a 200 pounds, these the two items between the two. He puts them on his shoulder like most people would put like a backpack on his shoulder, and he's walking out. And he sees the security guy, they're all looking at this seven foot two guy with a VCR and a TV on his back. And he goes, I think I, I think I, and he had a little bit of a stutter. He goes, I, I, I think I, I made my way with, with Firestone. Look what I end up getting. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, he could have had so much money. He didn't care. He could have bought anything he wanted. He felt right. like he got ahead of it because right. he got a TV and a VCR for doing the show. It was just, he was something else, man. So 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 I gotta ask, you know, the notorious question about Will. Did he yeah. really love twenty thousand women? I thought it was ten. Let, let, let me let me put let me put it this way: the four of us together, the three of you and me, we were in the the low minors compared to him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in every way, forgive me, this is not politically correct to say it, but in every way, he was the NBA's all time. Let <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. For sure. <laughs> that is fair well, enough. Well, real quick, just to piggyback off that, because um, not about that, but I know uh, we, we're all from L.A., so, of course, we all grew up watching, you know, KCAL 9 and seeing you on TV. Well, you're, you're old enough to remember that. That's good. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. You remember the that, jingle? That's when I met you. I met you on KCAL you know? 9. I mean, I met you. Uh, yeah, you know. sure. <laughs> feel very personal, like family, right. of course. Yeah, you know, I remember, uh, well, I, I don't, I'm not going to lie, I remember remember pat riley when he would used to work with chick but i kind of remember the erickson day so you know that's you know so we kind of kind of remember a long time ago but the one question um is everyone wants to talk about the infamous uh forum club so <laughs> you know so you know of course magic johnson you got the you know the showtime lakers and everybody's in there and they're all partying and of course they're rubbing shoulders with everybody in the entertainment did you ever get a chance to go in there uh just you know See, see, I see, and see, I knew, and I used to drive because you know, used to drive there, you know, going to the, going to the games, and you always go around, you know, the parking lot trying to find parking, and you just see it, you just see the four <laughs> club right there, and you're like, man, I just wish I can go into that door right there. And I, I, listen, I, I was never, still am not. Never ever been a swinger. I've never been a cool guy. I'm not a hip guy, <laughs> but. But you couldn't you you get you get hip just by the residue in the room. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you when you walk in the room and there's and I'm not making this stuff. And one night I was Richard Pryor was there, Michael Jackson was there, who knew nothing about basketball. You know the players were all on the court. You'd see um, Jack Nicholson all the time in there. And just to see how these people operated, they all had their little entourages. And let's just say that, and again, not my thing. It was never my thing, but they had the funny powder in those days too, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. And so that place was rocking and rolling. And there were guys who were totally into it and, and some women too. Um, there was a scene after the game too in the forum club. Um, so it, when the game was over, the game wasn't over. Yeah, you know, just get started. <laughs> but I do remember that era, and in more ways than one, it was showtime, if you know what I'm talking about. 
that, that's a, you know uh, awesome getting kind of moving towards our lakers now here of course uh we're a big lakers channel here nba channel here mm-hmm. uh, and, and you've had the luxury and the the benefit of interviewing even magic uh as well as other lakers but tell us a little bit about uh, your experience in um you know with magic johnson especially during those times and just watching that all come about <laughs> Uh, I'm going to really date myself, but here goes. I was there the day that they drafted Magic Johnson. They did a coin flip, and they drafted him out of Michigan State. Uh, I think he was not quite 20 years old. He might have been 18. That's the one thing he has in parallel with with Kobe. They were drafted virtually out of high school. They were out of high school. I was there because this is going to blow your guys' mind. It's going to really date me. Now NBA draft is like, four channels, you know, every 11 different, you know, interviewers. In those days, I swear to God, they had a speakerphone. And you're in the room with the Laker brass, and they they flipped a coin because they, they both had the same record, and the Lakers won. And I remember Jack Kent Cook was still the owner. This was before Jerry Buss. And I interviewed him, and I said, what do you think? Because they were a bunch of great players. He goes... Magic Johnson says it all, doesn't it? Because <laughs> there's a reason they call him Magic. Like Magic, he'll, he'll be a member of the Los Angeles Lakers. And Chick was there too. And I was there that day. And I would have to say that in terms of you talk about charisma, Ali definitely had it. But I don't know that I've met too many people in my life, but in show business or sports that could light up a room like Irvin Johnson. He made everybody feel special, always did. And um, for all of the errors he's made in his life, whatever they might be, professionally speaking, in terms of choices, doing a talk show that didn't make it, um, running the Lakers or being part of the management of the Lakers, which some very critical of him. You, here's, what the, here's the thing. You got to admire the fact that he was willing to take a shot at stuff. Yeah. He did yeah. a ton of stuff. He coached the Lakers, people forget. For I never. It wasn't very good either, but <laughs> he, he tried. I, I, I stand in awe of a person who is fearless in how they approach their life and what they want to do. And the day that they announced it, that he announced that he, as he put it, acquired the AIDS virus. That's a strange way to put it. I don't think you know what to say, but I was there and I remember not being prepared for what he was about to say. I'd heard some things, there were rumors. I remember my knees started to buckle. Like I've never been that nervous when I've had interviews where my knees would buckle maybe one or two times because of somebody's, the grandeur of somebody. But my knees started to buckle and I started to get dizzy like I was gonna pass out when I heard what he said because I thought he'd be dead in six weeks and not this is not the guy that I knew and loved and interviewed when he was 19 years old. Um, there's the thing on YouTube for people who want to watch it called Magic at the Movies, where I went into a, his movie theater and we looked at his career on, on the big screen. Yeah. And we both had bags of popcorn talking about his life. It was pretty cool. But that was the, one of the saddest days. I would Obviously, the Kobe day was pretty much as sad or sadder. Yeah, but, and the, and more tragic. But I remember not being able to feel my feet. It was so scary to me and so terrifying to me what was happening. And look at him now. Right. <laughs> you know that his business right now, Magic Johnson Enterprises. Now this is according to many many sources. 
He's closing in on a billion dollars. I mean, it's close. This was a guy who was given a death sentence career in the nineties. You know, he was sports. He was, he was, he was written off yes. and he was derided and he keeps moving forward. Yes. A lot of failure, a lot of failure. Yeah. Failure as a, a Laker coach, failure as talk show host, failure as a Laker executive. I'm sure he had some failures in business, but man, this cat just keeps smiling clear and bright and keeps finding a way to, to, to put the one foot in front of the next. I don't know that there's ever been a more inspiring story, really, in, in all the sports and right. anybody I've ever covered. I mean, this again, if you knew where AIDS was in, oh, yeah. in, in, in the 90s, Everyone was written. There was a that night that when he announced Pat Riley had a prayer on the court with the Knicks when he was with the Knicks, and they were doing the Lord's Prayer because they thought Magic would be dead in eight to ten weeks. That's what we believe. Look at him now. Look at him now. I mean, it, it was so crazy because I, I remember that day we, I was in high school, um, and I was we were walking home, and somebody just yelled out, you know, you know, I'm with my friends, Magic Johnson got hate. <laughs> like what well, I mean that they just yelled out and gave us the news coverage apparently you know and mm -hmm. we're like oh my god when you get home and you start watching it you're like man it, it, it took my breath away Mike I couldn't I, I couldn't even find a way to cry I've never had that kind of there was a pain in my chest and my feet and I said I've, I've never experienced this is a walking dead man Yes. Right. Never seen yeah. This is a walking dead man. He's going to be dead and we're all going to grieve and we're going to have to say goodbye and I'm going to have to see him now and I'm going to see him emaciated. I'm going to see him with sores yeah. on his face. Mm -hmm. How am I going to deal with this? And, I, you know, I'm thinking selfishly, of course, but everybody else yeah. was kind of thinking that too. Yeah. I didn't even look him in the eye. Yeah. And look at him now. Again, yeah. we, can, we can sit and argue about, oh, he's got medication that other people aren't accessible. Yeah. Right. It, it doesn't matter because he never hid. He yeah. never turned back. He never turned his back on anybody. He right. just, for all the mistakes and errors he made, look at all the wins he got. What's his winning percentage about life? Right, man. Right. What, what, what an unbelievably unfree. He's the most remarkable person I've ever covered in Los Angeles yeah. for sure. And I've covered a lot of people. I, you know, Ali, I consider him global. But Magic Johnson, what he brought to the world, and what he brought to awareness about AIDS, and how he more than anything else up again from the beginning of the show i talk about uplifting people i don't know that anybody who has ever met this guy has felt anything but uplift anything yeah. but inspiration and joy and nobody matches him in that category in my opinion 100 percent agree and you know again just to piggyback on on your point watching his journey you know at you know how he went and made sure he invested in HIV and awareness and education and going out to the White House to uh, advocate, you know, creating the whole, he saved so many lives mm -hmm. by the fact that he unfortunately had gotten this, but can you imagine he's probably saved millions and millions of lives because uh, because of what he had to go through and create the awareness and education and medicines and investments and research and you know and, and also Mike what 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 he what he did for the for the African American community in Los Angeles Baldwin Hills and, yes. and the areas he yeah. he's put restaurants and he's put people to work and he's yep. put thousands of employed thousands of people over the years again this is not to say he didn't have some failures he did. And and that's what I think makes it even more impressive. Yes. He's not a guy who who is who fears failure. 
you know, and uh, he's, he's I, I don't know, every time I see him, you know, I give him a hug and I say, man, I used to joke with him. I said, because because Chris Rock used to have this bit. He goes, if I get AIDS, I want that Magic Johnson success AIDS. You know, yeah. AIDS. You know, I, was, I, I said, Chris Rock says you got to get that Magic Johnson success AIDS. Because like, yeah. it was, um, you know, Roy, because earlier, you know, we were talking about like where we were, right, when we got the news and the fact that like just a few years earlier, it was where we just uh, we just touched on him earlier was Arthur Ashe, and to see the the, um, the deterioration of Arthur Ashe, and going from a person my my parents know him, I mean they don't know him, but uh, personally, but of course he went to UCLA, so he's like you know LA, so it's it was just him being um, Arthur Ashe and seeing that he went out the way he did and you're just thinking that Magic is going to suffer the same fate and he mm -hmm. didn't do it and like you were saying before the inspiration and what things that he was doing when they said just for just the African American community just when they were saying basically that you know for all intents and purposes, black people don't drink coffee. He said, I'm going to put a Starbucks in the hood. We're going to see what that's about. And of course, now if you roll, go around in, in the neighborhoods, they're everywhere. Same thing with the Magic Johnson Theater. They had a TGI Friday. He brought franchises to to us that we never would have been able to experience before Magic Johnson went in, out and did that. And like you said, he's a trailblazer and he should be commended as not just a person that was touching lives on the basketball court, mm -hmm. but all the way back to when he got the deal when he was with Pepsi, you know, he was making these moves and he had such this networking that you could see how he's now part owner of the Dodgers and seeing how he just diversifying his portfolio, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that is just, you know, when you, you think about a person and he always liked to talk about his dad and mom and how he grew up and what they had to do to get him to, you know, school and how he was just loved. You know. ten, ki ten kids in his family, by the yes. way. Yes, and 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 just to see him, you know, be that person that be that beacon, it's like, and just rise up and to be the guy that he is, it's just a different situation. And I just love Magic Johnson for it. I'm so happy that he played uh, for the Lakers and we were able to watch his career in total. I, I got a quick story about Arthur Ashe, if you'd like to hear it. Please. Uh, I interviewed Arthur Ashe. Mm, six, seven months before he announced he he had full-blown AIDS, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't just uh, HIV positive. He was full-blown AIDS. Mm -hmm. And he looked really thin to me. And I just thought he, you know, was on a diet or something. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like an idiot I am. I'm saying, boy, he's really lean. Yeah, but back and then. He was very, very thin. And I didn't say anything. And then after he announced that he was a, that he had AIDS, I did an interview with him and I asked him, I said, when you did that interview with me in Miami for another thing, did you think I knew? He goes, no, I knew you didn't know because I just thought you were thin. He goes, well, he says, I'm just, I, I, I was going to, if you had said something, I would have maybe said it there. So here's the story. So I'm in New York doing this interview or set up an interview with Arthur Ashe. This is, just a few months, be well, maybe eight months before he passed. And it's a pouring rain, cold day in New York. And I, it's, I'll never forget, it was at the Sheridan Hotel. And Arthur was going to do this interview. He's, he, he had a, a cab take him in. And it's pouring rain and it's cold. And remember, he's got AIDS. So if he gets pneumonia, it's really bad. So... I go to my crew in the, in, into the room where we're going to do this interview, and there's no crew there. 
And I called my producer. I said, what the hell is going on? Where's the crew? He's going to be here in 20 minutes. They said, it's tomorrow. I said, no, it's not. It's today. They went, we thought it's tomorrow. I said, are you guys essing me? Are you shitting me? They said, no, I, I, I wanted to scream at these people. They blew it. Just as I'm getting off the phone, Arthur Ashe walks in dripping wet. And I said, Arthur, this could be the most embarrassing thing I'm ever going to say coming out of my mouth for a guest. But my crew isn't here. And he, he came all across from Midtown to be there. And he looks at me and he goes, let's do it tomorrow. I went, really? He goes, sure. Wow. I said, I said, you're, you're taking this chance. If, again, if he gets a chill, if he gets wet, if he gets pneumonia, he's dead. And he did the most unbelievable interview. And he said something to me I'll never forget. I said, what is it that you're going to remember about your life? What is it? What, what, how do you stay positive? How do you stay joyful in knowing that you are not going to perhaps survive? And he, he knew he wasn't going to survive much longer. He says, seeing my little girl eat cake and ice cream. I went, what? He goes, I focus in on her joy and I get the joy. And I know that there's a reason to be alive. My little girl is eating that ice cream. And I just think it's one of the most pleasurable things I could ever do in my life. And I said, oh my God, with all this, this horror in his life, he still found a place of joy. He was gone in seven or eight months after that. Oh. I will cherish that moment. And also cherish the fact that he came back to do that interview. And that was probably the most embarrassed I ever was uh, in my profession when my crew wasn't there and he came dripping wet to, to, to ready to do the interview. And he said, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. I couldn't believe it. Great man, one of the greatest people I've ever known. Certainly the, mo the most intelligent person I ever knew from an athletic endeavor in my life. I was overmatched. I had no business even being an interviewer. This is how good an interviewer he was. He used to talk about Havel, who was the the the, the Czechoslovakian president, Václav Havel, and talked about him. And he 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 traveled the world. He was truly uh, an ambassador of, to the world on many many issues. If he were alive today, with with voter suppression and all these other things are going on, what a figure he would have been. But he didn't make it, um, and. But he did make an impact on my life like no one else. Really unbelievable figure. Absolutely amazing stuff. We'd like to talk to you and get into some Laker talk and some sure. Kobe talk here. Uh, but really quick, we're going to take one last break. We're going to pay one more bill. Everybody stick with us. Thank you for joining Roy Firestone on the Profanity Nation podcast with Money Mike, Stat Pat, and Simsta. Don't go anywhere. We've got lots more. We'll be right back after this little break. Hey guys, you got to check out the Pure Life Alternative Wellness Center. It's a family-owned and operated pre-ICO, Prop D compliant, and recreational collective serving Chatsworth, the San Fernando Valley, and the surrounding Los Angeles areas. They offer discounts for all our veterans and seniors 55 plus, as well as first-time patient and referral discounts. You can order online at purelifesfv.org. That's purelifesfv.org. 
Thank you for sticking with us. Of course, this is the Profanity Nation podcast, joined here by Money Mike, Stat Pat, Simsta, and we've got the great icon, sportscaster, entertainer, singer. Uh, I'm going to assume you're a chef as well, and who knows what else we can add to that mix. Hey, hey, he's, a, he's an impressionist. <laughs> an impressionist. He, does, he does really good impressions. <laughs> yeah, he actually has already, yeah. Uh, Roy Fire. Have you ever done comedy? Like a, done any type of stand-up comedy, Roy? Oh man, I got stories. <laughs> I've, been doing, I've been doing some form of stand-up. I don't really consider myself a Jerry Seinfeld type, or not in that category. But I perform. You know, I used to perform seventy to hundred dates a year. One night, I had to follow Eddie Murphy. Swear to God, at the wow. Hour. And I was on at one forty-five. I'll never forget. He did an hour of just the craziest, wildest stuff. And I had to follow him. He he goes, I'll clean it up for you. Who's the who did who's the MF that's got to follow me? <laughs> I'll never forget this. It's like 145. And I got up there and said, I'm the MF that gotta follow you. And I got <laughs> on stage with Eddie Murphy and I was trading back and forth riffing with him. I don't know where I got my material from, but it was funny and it was crazy. The place went nuts. And I that's that's the, the, the hardest thing I've ever had to do is, as a stand-up performer. I tried my where I was sort of a wannabe, but you know, I sing and I do impressions and I do a bunch of things. But the the coolest thing that ever happened to me doing stand-up and performing was I was doing my two things. I was doing my show up close and I had Gail Sayers, the late great Gail Sayers, yeah. you yeah. say late great. God, it's unbelievable. Um, we're in the green room. He goes, Roy, I've seen you at a couple of events. You, you you like to perform, don't you? And I said, yeah. He goes, I bet you can play Vegas someday. I went, well, and I, I don't know if I'll play Vegas. He goes, if you ever play Las Vegas, I'm going to tell you right now, I'll be there opening night. I'll fly in to be there. Ha ha. You know, great. That's so cute. Very nice thing to say. Six months later, maybe less. True story. I am given an opportunity from Steve Wynn to do the Golden Nugget with Lou Rawls, the great Lou Rawls. Yep open for Lou Rawls in Las Vegas and make a co-headlining debut. <laughs> Gail Sayers gets wind of this. He, I, on opening night, I'm scared shitless, excuse my language, but I'm scared to death, right? And there's a knock on my dressing room door. I open the door, swear to God, it's Gail Sayers. He goes, I told you. He was there in the front row. I have pictures of it. I'll give it to you guys if you want to show it. Yep. He was there in the front row, led a standing ovation for me. You talk about a thrill. The other thing was Jerry Lewis, same thing. The great Jerry Lewis was on my show, and that's on YouTube too. If people want to see it, I interview with Jerry Lewis, the great comedian. He says, I hear that you're a performer, and I, if I'm not there opening night, you'll get an opening night telegram. In those days, the telegram was a thing. You know, yeah. You can have, <laughs> all you get now is for cash. I think that's all you get. Barely. <laughs> Yeah, right? I think isn't that an app now? I think that's an yeah, app. It is. <laughs> Telegram was a big deal. Yeah. He said, if you ever get to play Vegas, he found out about it. I still have it. The Telegram from Jerry Lewis opening night. Uh -huh. I mean, as I said before, guys, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this oh. in stepping back to wonder, going, who the hell has this life? Yeah. yeah. Oh, in man. my profession, no one I know has this life. I mean, I'm, I've never covered the Olympics like Bob Costas, and who's my friend. I, God bless him. He's got 20,000 Emmy Awards. Um, I'll now, never be Al Michaels. I'll never be Howard Cosell. But all of these experiences, these life experiences I've had, 
I, I would hold my own against anybody in, in pride and gratitude of all these things I've been able to do. So this, in answer to your question, stand-up was a very big part of my career in realizing I wasn't really going to be a great stand-up. So I, I do a show now, a one-man one show about sports with music, impressions, storytelling. And of course, with COVID, it's been a while since I've been able to do it in front of an audience. But I'm getting some virtual shows to do here and there. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going to happen with the COVID in the years ahead. I think you're going to see greatly reduced spectator events, be it sports or entertainment. But I hope to God I get another chance to do it again because I love doing it. I love it. Well, let us know. I would love to go to yeah, it. Yeah, love yeah, to I said before, you know, there's stuff on YouTube and at RoyFirestone.com of me performing. Okay. Um, and, you know, to, to be on the same stage with people like, as I said earlier, Loretta Lynn, the Doobie Brothers, the Four Tops, um, Lou Rawls, who was so incredible to me. When I get up there, and I, I, I'm going to say this just a matter of fact, I'm not saying this brag, but I did get a standing ovation, led, by the way, from Gail Sayers. When I finished, Lou Rawls walks out. He goes, just just wait a minute. Before I start, people cheering, Lou, let's bring Roy back in here because yeah. I had no idea. He This is Lou Rawls, man. He was a right. giant. And him saying that to me, I mean, I, I don't know many people have had these experiences. And yeah. in fact, I'm pretty sure that no one's had these yeah. kinds of experiences <laughs> in the whole world that I've, I've lived in. So I, I've just been very, very blessed, very fortunate. There's no more, more grateful for what I've had in my career than, than me, believe me. We're, we're definitely going to get into some Lakers stuff, but I actually have a question, um, two questions, and we'll get you the answer, then we'll go right to Lakers stuff. Okay. Uh, number one would be, uh, is there anyone – a sports figure, uh, anyone, celebrity, any one person that you would have loved to interview that you just didn't get a chance, and who would that person be? And then secondly, uh, what's on Roy's bucket list? If it was considering so much has already been checked off. It's been a hell of a bucket, I'll tell you that. Before, before, I, before I kick the bucket. This is there you go, there you go. <laughs> um, never got to interview Jackie Robinson. Would have loved to. I, my, my career started four years after he passed. 75, 76. I, I interviewed Rachel Robinson, his his wife, who's like well into her 90s. She doesn't, I don't think has a ton of time left. I don't think she's doing that well at this point, but she was a great woman. And I said, she she one time said to me, as we're finishing up, as she's taking the mic, she goes, Jack would have liked you. I went, that was heavy. Yeah. Um, but in terms of my bucket list, um, I would like to, I, I'd like to sing with an orchestra. I think that's one thing uh, I would love to. I, I have never sat down with LeBron. I'd like to sit and talk oh. to him. I'd I think he's a guy I really like to talk to. And I, I don't, if he gave, if he had enough time to, to give to me, I did. I've spoken to interviewed just about everybody. They never did get the chance to talk to LeBron. And uh, I would love to do the show again. I'm going to be straight with you. Uh, there's talk that they're going to reboot the show, not from ESPN, but from another venue, uh, I don't know if it's going to happen. This industry is very weird, but uh, they want to call it up closer. I like it. Okay. Uh, and okay. if, if it happened, if it happens, it's great. If it doesn't, it's great. But I would love to do the show again. I think, uh, especially even if it's virtual, I, I, you guys are having fun. I'm having fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you're going to see that the whole industry change. I don't think you're going to see as many studio shows as much as you used to because of this. Even after they come up with the vaccine and everyone gets it, I think you, it's going to be a slow roll before you see people going back to studio. I really do. Um, 
I'd like to do that. That's on my bucket list. Um, but you know, I just I, I I love doing things that that make people smile. So whatever that would be, whether it's an interview, whether it's performing, um, I'm just you know I, I got to meet Tom Hanks and he was on my show, and he says I want to I want to do what you do. I went really. <laughs> I said, You're Tom Hanks. And he goes, no, but I, he was, I was an usher at the Oakland A's games when I was a kid. He says, I really love to interview all these athletes. And then Elton John, I, I, you showed a picture before, yep. and we'll show it again maybe if you'd like. But mm -hmm. when he came to, when he did this interview with me, he goes, I've been wanting to talk to you for some time. I went, oh, he didn't even know my name. He just knew my face, right? I said, really? About what, Sir Elton John? You want to talk to me? He goes, because I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. I said, what? He goes, I've been an Atlanta Braves fan for, I don't know, 45 years. I was a fan when they were the super, on the Superstation with Ted Turner, and I watched them because I never could leave my, my hotel room, and I watched the ball games. I learned about baseball. He starts talking about for Raphael for Cal, this is Elton John. Oh, wow. Lawrence in second to bat second instead of third, and Chipper Jones and John Smoltz. And I'm saying this has got to be a put on. You've had somebody <laughs> give you give you notes, crib notes. He goes, No, no, I am such a Braves fan. He said, When I do my show, this is why I wanted to talk to you. I have the games in the playoffs when they're in the playoffs in my ear while I'm doing the show. Oh wow. my goodness. I said, What? He goes, I put it on in my ear, and if the Braves win, I'll, I'm in such good mood, I'll do two or three more songs. <laughs> so when they lose, and they lose a lot in the playoffs, as you know, he goes, I'll blow the whole goddamn show off because I'm pissed off. I couldn't believe my ears. This guy knew so much about – he knew about the Richmond Braves. He knew about the minor leagues. He was telling me about guys who were coming up. It was unbelievable. So I guess the reason I'm bringing this up is – you never know. Yeah, I love the fact that you never know in this industry. You never know what's going to happen next. You, you wake up the next day and something fantastic could happen. Something tragic could happen. That's why you got to live every life, every every ounce of your life with every pa passion you have. Um, you know, I mean, terrible thing to say, but it's true. I mean, poor Kobe Bryant and his family and all those wonderful people who lost their lives. They didn't think their Sunday was going to end that way. Right. And you got to live every single day of your life, folks, with gratitude, man. It's I don't care what your ideology is, your religion, not religion, whatever you say, but just be grateful because mm. you just don't know. And also on the same token, don't give up because you don't know. You don't know. The good stuff could be coming, too. So when people are down and low because of this COVID thing and it's been miserable and it's cost the lives of nearly 500,000 Americans and it's a horror you don't know the, what's coming. It, the better, the better days ahead. You know, life could be lived more fully, appreciated more, maybe because right. of this. Mm -hmm. How much we cherish each other, we don't. We should, we need to cherish each other, exactly. and that goes back full circle to what I said at the top of the show. We need to find a way to uplift each other and to metaphorically hug people or literally hug people when Absolutely. hope is a thing of the past, I guess. Exactly. We need to find a way because we don't, we're wasting our time in this life. And quickly too. Now um, you brought up, of course, tragedies and tragedies hit, but you did have a relationship and actually uh, Mr. Kobe Bryant uh, did mean something special to you as well, which he actually inspired you 
and his passing inspired you. Would you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your relationship with Kobe Bryant, and then you can lead into you know what that inspired you to do and mm-hmm. uh, uh, add to your career, of course. Please. If you're watching this video-wise, there's a picture of Kobe that we're showing right now. This was later on his life, um, towards the end of his career. But there was a picture that I also sent, which you might have, of him when he was 18 years old. It was the first interview that we did in Los Angeles with him coming out of high school, not quite 19. And we did it at Loyola Marymount, where the Lakers used to train. And he came into the room, this young kid that the suit barely fit him. He was so, it was, he was like this skinny whole bean, Kobe bean <laughs> and lightning hit the, this, the, the, the facility and knocked out our lights. It was a rainy day. And my crew said to me, it was just getting ready to do the interview. He says, you got to tell Kobe that we're, it's going to take us two hours to get the light. I went, Oh my God, this kid is not going to want to talk to us. I said, Kobe, we just lost our lights would you want to come back two hours from now and and do it? He goes, come back. I'm not coming back. I went, oh, God. So I said, I blew it, right? We blew it. He says, I'm staying. I said, you're staying? He goes, for two hours. Let's just sit and talk, even if we're not rolling, about life. Wow. And I went, what? He, He starts talking to us in Italian, telling us about growing up in Italy, about how Milan was this one of his favorite teams, his favorite soccer players, how soccer was the love of his life, growing up with his father, Jelly Bean. None of this was recorded because the cameras weren't rolling because there was no lights. But he stayed with us for two hours. I'll never forget that. And and he wanted to know how the cameras worked. He wanted to know how the lighting worked. wanted to know how the editing worked. He was so curious and so fascinated. He was not, a, he wasn't 20 years old. And he did this with us. And we became friends, friendly over the years. I can't say I was best friend or even his top thousand. But he, every time he see me, he says, is it raining out? It'll kind of ha ha. So on the day of the tragedy, uh, January 26th last year, um, like everybody else, I was wiped out, man. It just, it blew me away. I mean, and also don't forget nine people were killed in that crash, including his 13 year old daughter. Of course. Um, we, we should remember that too, but I didn't know what to do. And I hit a major funk. I, 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 plus COVID started about a few weeks after that. And I, I live alone right now. I have love in my life, but I, I, I do live by myself and I love dogs. And I said, what can I do that's positive? I, I got to do something. And I had a dog before a yellow lab that I, when I put that dog down, it crushed me. I said, I'll never do this again. It's just too painful. I said, I'm going to take a shot and get a dog. So I got a dog. I rescued a dog who was abandoned twice, named him Kobe. And, uh, I love this dog. And what I decided to do is share my feelings about the dog. It's sort of a similar feeling about loss but it's also it's for little kids it's a children's book about 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 uh, a dog and so i i put this book together i don't know if you can see it on the screen here absolutely so a boy named roy by the way i could see the tree is yeah the green screen is you have a shot of it too that you could yeah. put it there it is um and i decided to donate the proceeds to the animal shelter the dog rescue which is west coast labrador retriever rescue in los angeles in Kobe's memory, Kobe Bryant's memory. And um, it's it's done unbelievably well. This book is being 
you know, it had been on TV, national TV about this book. I've written three other books about sports, as we said at the top, and you can get all these books at royfirestone.com. Yep. But if you're listening to the show and you want to do something for animals or for Labrador retrievers or for just in the memory of Kobe that's positive and you have little kids in your life somewhere, uh, pick up the book. It's Kobe and a Boy Named Roy. Get it at RoyFirestone.com. I'll sign it personally. If you don't really care about getting signed, you can go to Amazon. But as I said, it's shocking me how many people are touched by both the story and by dogs and how dogs bring so much joy into your life and companionship. So that's my way of giving back in memory of Kobe. Um, and I could tell you, I've done a lot of things in my, I quote unquote, literary, I don't, literary, I don't know, that's not the right word, but it is, but you know, books are nice. And I've written, I say three other, I, I had one bestseller, but this children's book means as much to me as any book I've ever read, I've, I've ever written, I should say. And um, I'm proud of what we've been able to do. We've raised thousands of dollars for this, West Coast Labrador Retriever Rescue. And this dog is the love of my life, man. He was 25 pounds overweight when I got him, abandoned twice. Oh, man. He walked nine and a half miles in, in spurts all day long, every day. He's lost all his weight. I wish I could show him to, well, see if I can do this. Let me see. <laughs> can you, can you, I don't know if you, can you see him? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there he is. He's not that far from me right there. Exactly. Right. That's awesome. But, uh, He's, he, it, it's funny. He's always right by me. And he's, uh, if Kobe Bryant, God bless him, were alive, I'd bring this dog by and say, this boy, he's a great guy, just like you were. You know, it's just, uh, it's a horrible tragedy. One of the greatest, probably the greatest tragedy I've ever personally experienced in sports, like all of us. I'm not alone by any means. Yeah. All of you felt the same way. But man, if I can bring a little joy back, which is with this guy, I think something maybe positive you know yeah it's a beautiful book and also to our listeners anyone listening or watching right now uh the profanity nation will actually have a book to give away so as you're watching this comment and we may pick you to give that book it'll be a signed book by roy and we'll definitely be giving sure. that away so uh be sure to comment during this episode and we'll pick out a winner and we'll be sure to get that sent out with a profanity nation prize pack right. um Okay, let's let's get into a little bit of today's game, today's Lakers. Mm -hmm. um, let, let's let's go back really quick. We asked since it's still kind of relatively, uh, we'll say relative. Um, the bubble play, NBA bubble play. I'm always curious, you know, what uh, your thoughts were or what what our guest thoughts were on bubble play for NBA, um, and how you felt that went. Some people feel asterisks with that championship. Some don't. I'm just kind of curious. What's your thoughts on well, that? They ended up. Certainly last year, they ended up playing pretty close to the full schedule, didn't they? I don't know if they yeah. lost four or five games, but it wasn't like baseball was the joke. I mean, baseball was 60 games. Yeah. Um, they had a lot of COVID. I'm talking about the NBA. All sports did. Um, but I think of all the sports, they handled it best. Yeah. I think they did. Now, again, remember if you remember when the Jazz, I forget the player, but the guy on the Jazz when he Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert, right? He was the first guy that night, and everyone said, "Oh, it's going to be like yeah." And then he did that thing with the microphone. That was just bad timing, beyond <laughs> stupid, beyond. And then he had to apologize. Yeah, right. we thought you know some people thought, "Oh, it's going to be a week." It 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 and essentially ended the season right there, or so we thought, and they were able to through policy and through um, distancing. And COVID testing, and they 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 lost a 
crap load of money, as we all know, but they were able to somehow put together, string together a season. So did baseball, but to a lesser extent, only 60 games. I really thought football was making a big mistake, college football, I mean. Uh, the NFL was able to pull it off. I don't know when we're going to see full houses again. I mean, I'll ask you guys, could you see yourself joining 100,000 people in Ann Arbor to watch Michigan and Ohio State? I couldn't. I wouldn't take that shot. No. Even if I could, I, I, you don't know who's sitting next to you anymore. Right. right? So it's going to change the world. But in answer to your question about bubble play, I, I think they did as certainly as good a job as they could possibly do. They made some mistakes. Some idiots out there made it worse, some players. <laughs> Of course. Uh, but, but for the most part, I think it's a legitimate season. Um, and the Lakers were pushed, but just too much talent, man. There's just yeah. too much talent. They 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 just – what do they go – they go to six or they go only five? I can't remember. But they went to six. Six. I mean, you know, but the truth is um, it was remarkable they got the whole season in. I, I think it's a leg legitimate season. I can't say that – taking nothing away from the Dodgers, but when you're only playing 60 games, it's a whole different a a animal. And I, I think the NBA was closer to the real deal. I don't know what's 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 ahead for, for the NBA, what it's going to be like this season. It's still very much an issue, but and there's still guys getting COVID. Yep. I, I mean, you saw Durant the other day. I don't even – I haven't followed super closely, but I think he had – did he have it twice? I think he he had to be held he out because of yeah for God. contact tracing or something along. We just we just guys we don't know what's had ahead right. in terms of what this you know what these other variants are going to be with this disease, but I do think the NBA came as close to the legitimate full season because they did have a head start that the other sports didn't have. I was really had a problem with college sports. Uh, they still do. Canceling. I think college football was it was idiotic to pull that off and. There were so many postponements, yeah. delays, cancellations. They didn't do too much of that in the NBA. They they delayed stuff, but they end up they end up getting pretty close to a full schedule. Yeah, and, and most of the part was, was full teams there, that's for sure. Yeah. And then what about our Lakers this year? How are you feeling about the Lakers this year? I, I have a hard time believing anyone could unseat them. I, I think they're better than they were last year. They have more talent than they have, they have more versatility, they have a better bench than they had last year. Uh but and this is always the big but. You don't know about injuries. Of course. You you, yeah. If LeBron goes down, he's you know upwards of 36, 37 years old, that team is done. Same yeah, yeah. thing with Anthony Davis. If either of those guys go, and you never know what could happen. Just you turn the wrong way, you blow an Achilles, and it's a whole different thing. Yeah. We, we saw that with the Warriors were decimated when the Warriors you know, lost all those players to injuries, and then they free agency and Durant went. All of these things happen. You just don't. It's the unknown. But yeah. as as it's as they're put together now, they have young talent too. They've got shooters. They're a team that I think should have certainly, you know, at, at every bit the chance they had to win it last year. They have this year. I think maybe more so. But yeah. the talent around the league is a little stronger. Obviously, with the Nets being what they are now, you're seeing some other teams. I don't see though. If they stay healthy and if there's no major injury or COVID, which is another issue, yeah. I don't see anybody beating them. Yeah, because when I'm looking at the Lakers in general, um, and um, like you said, the depth now from versus what the it bench like, is huge, you know, and um, and when you're looking at, you just look at everyone can probably beat the Lakers in a one-off game, like you know the Lakers. Yeah. 
you know, and so when you see them lose a game um, and then play in a, in a regular season, I, I more this year than last year, obviously, because we, ha- we haven't won in so long. But when you see them lose now, you look at that game and you kind of like say, but can that team do that three more times? Right. And so now I'm looking at the whole season. Yes, you might win a game against the Lakers. Right. Your Super Bowl or your NBA Finals. However, can you play the same game three more times to win and right. the same thing that happened to the Lakers that allowed you to win that game? Yeah. Right. So, for example, if you're looking at AD and LeBron and they combine for only 40 points, that's not going to happen three right. more times in right. play. That's so, right. So it's but like they also have other players that they didn't have last yeah. year. You know, these guys, you know, the guard and their forward, they got players that they didn't have last year that are better than they had last year that could pick up the slack. Shooter. Yeah. And even the players, all these guys are great. Trader, these guys are all players that could offset a bad night that these that Davis and right. LeBron had. So yeah. Yeah, they got I, think I, I don't know if you guys agree with me. I just think they're a better team than they were last year. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they are. They're yeah. deeper, and and not only that, but they're the the talent, the depth, and the bench that they kept. The Alex Caruso, the Taylor Horton Tucker, they got better. Even right. Kuzma is better this year. Definitely. So, so not only did they add Gasol, they got Gasol too. You know, it's another. Yeah, exactly. he's, he's past his prime, but he's still a he could he helps. I you think know. he'll pay dividends in the playoffs when the game slows down a little bit because right now it's a little quick. But once we get into playoffs and it slows down a little quick, I think uh, uh, Gasol will start to get his yeah. play a little bit more. Um, Roy, thank you so much. For joining the Profanity Nation podcast. This was an absolute pleasure. You're amazing. Your stories are outstanding. Your storytelling is even better. I want to hear more, honestly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'll come back. I'll come back. But I literally am getting a, my door is ringing. I got a roll. Okay. No problem. Thank you guys. We'll talk and we'll do this again. It was a pleasure to have. To Absolutely. Be Before you go really quick, Roy, could you please just tell everyone once again where they can find your book and keep up yes. with RoyFirestone.com. Uh, if you want me to sign it, yep. uh, the name of the book is Kobe and a Boy Named Roy, Proceeds Benefit Animal Rescue, uh, West Coast Labrador Retriever Rescue. That's the book right there. If you don't care about me signing it and you want to go to uh, Amazon, it's same place, uh, Kobe and a Boy Named Roy. And uh, as we said, Proceeds Benefit Animal Rescue, and we're thrilled with that. And I'll sign it personally, anything you want, an inscription. And uh, thanks for having me on, man. Oh, thank you very right. much, thank you. thank you so much. Have a great day. Have a great week. We appreciate it. We'll keep an eye out for you. You keep singing. Keep partying. We love it. Thanks again, guys. Be well. Good night. Thank Take you. Care. Wonderful show, guys. Man. Everybody, thank you man. for sticking with Woo. us. I-, I must say, man, Rory Firestone, man. He, man, I-, I was just excited just to hear his stories. You know, you know, just yeah. watching him growing up, listening to him and. And all the people he interviewed, and I learned so much more about him. It was just all amazing. Roy's amazing. His storytelling and the stories that he has, you just can't hear anywhere else. And he shared it here with the Profanity Nation and you guys. So thank you so much for joining us, as always. The Profanity Nation podcast every Sunday night at 8.30 p.m. on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and Periscope. You can download the audio on every single podcast platform, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts. It doesn't matter anywhere. We're on there. It's the Profanity Nation the Profanity Nation podcast. We are the voice of the fan. Thank you for joining us. For Money Mike, Stat Pat, Roy Firestone, thank you so much. Hey, hey, y'all see the shirt? Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Hey, go go get the gear on ProfaneNation.com. <laughs>
Thank you for joining us. So you think your sneakers look good, huh? Check this out. <laughs> Even the most exclusive sneakers once purchased look identical to everybody else's sneakers. Can I get a holla holla? So how do you take your boring regular sneakers and convert them to unique dynamic sneakers that will stand out? Yo, that answer is easy. You need to get laced with Get Laced Shoelaces. Visit GetLacedLaces.com or check us out on Instagram at GetLaced.Underscore. Hey guys, you got to check out the Pure Life Alternative Wellness Center. It's a family-owned and operated pre-ICO, Prop D compliant, and recreational collective serving Chatsworth, the San Fernando Valley, and the surrounding Los Angeles areas. They offer discounts for all our veterans and seniors 55 plus, as well as first-time patient and referral discounts. You can order online at purelifesfv.org. That's purelifesfv.org. A podcast for the fans, by the fans. Dive deep into the topics the other shows miss, raw and uncensored. And he's going to play team ball. His legacy is at stake. Rare, hard-hitting interviews with players, coaches, and you, the super fans. I'm not hating. I'm like, okay, cool. Three championships in five years. He's more than good, bro. Profanity Nation. Listen live or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Powered by Jesse Brown of Cal Williams.